tonight I want to talk to you. So pray for Max. Pray for Max and them as they begin to start. I want to talk to you about the uh, five reasons Paul succeeded. I've spoken on this text three times, two, three times in the last 40, 30 years, 4, 35 years. It's what I call a classical text. This is a classical text. What do I mean by classical? If you read the, the book of Philippians, you are going to highlight verses 13 and 14 of chapter 3. Let's just say you don't know much about the Bible. You read the book of Philippians. You're going to come to chapter 3 and you're going to hit verse 14. You're going to, you're going to highlight other places. Because Philippians has really, some really phenomenal verses. But if you take 100 people that read the book of Philippians, 90 of those people are going to highlight verse 13, 14, because it's so powerful. And the Holy Spirit just picks that up and says, this is for you. And so that's what we mean by classical. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are where? Behind. And then what do I do? Reach forth under the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. These two verses, I believe, reveal a five-step or five-point personal plan that Paul adopted to succeed as a Christian. He was a very calculated individual. Uh, no, 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 no different than the guy who, in, who discovered a cure for polio helped mankind. Or the person who discovered a secret to malaria has helped mankind. Or the person who came up with penicillin has so helped mankind. So Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, helps the born-again believers to, to end well and to finish well and to finish your course, keep the faith, fight a good fight. Just as sure as these wonderful people that did these three major things with polio, malaria, and penicillin revealed the secret to relief the human suffering. So Paul reveals to us this evening the secret to his personal success with God. Through the years, I have made it a point, a discipline, to read biographies. I was taught to do that at Bob Jones University early on. And I picked it up. They assigned it to us, made us do it. It was part of the course. Uh, read these certain biographies of great men and women that excelled in serving God. The question I have to ask myself as I read these books is, why, what did they have that others don't? What did they know that others did not know? What did they understand that made a difference in their outcomes? How did they handle some of the great defeats in life and turn them around and make them tools for victory rather than defeats. I have searched through the book of Acts. I read the book of Acts 18 times in three and a half months when I was younger. Almost to the place of getting a loose memorization of the book. And what I was doing was looking for the secret that God had placed in that book for, for me to be a Christian, because the first century Christians have something that we need. So how could this man, Paul, survive so well as a Christian, do so well? He was short and small, 
He was almost blind, suffered in his vision. His voice was contemptible, and he was, he was absolutely not an eloquent speaker. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, it says, For his letters say they are weight, weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. I, I've, I've had a lot of things said about me, but that would be really rough. Like your speech, Pastor Bill, is contemptible. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. Paul's saying that. Of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. God loves to use inadequate vessels. Because the glory then doesn't go to the vessel, it goes to the God of the vessel. Amen. That is uh, Max Yama. The Max Yama I know was, wouldn't be ever. What I heard up there on Sunday was not the Max Yama that I knew. It was the Max Yama that God got a hold of. And the glory to God in the highest. Excited about it. Paul started more churches than maybe any man since then. He preached more cities. Penned 13 of the 27 New Testament books. I think if Paul walked in those doors tonight, Paul the Apostle was allowed to walk in those doors tonight, you and I would not even take any special note of him, either in his speech, his manner, or his personality. He would just not stand out. He wouldn't stand out. He wouldn't come in and say, oh, man, the great Apostle Paul. No. By the way, he never referred to himself that way. Now, Paul had, most of you know the Bible well enough, to understand Paul's success. He did all of that without a dictaphone, a radio, a computer, a fax machine, a tape player, airplane, electricity, camcorder, internet, electric lights, modern hospitals, antibiotics, amplifiers, printing presses, copy machines, alternating current, also air conditioning, automobiles, Bible dictionary, didn't have any of that, carpet, restrooms, like we do at least, flushing restrooms, running water restrooms, padded pews, none of them, pianos, no, overhead projector, no, cameras, no, hairspray, no, hair dryer, no, electric shavers, no, deodorant, no, croons concordance, no, newspaper ads, no, brochures, no, flyers, no, central heat, no, no telemarketing, no television, no telephone. All he had was to tell a woman. And it worked. The truth is, we're here in America today as born-again believers in some way due to the little squat, stammering-tongued Jew blazing the trail for us. Without almost all the tools that we use to spread the gospel. And we would say, we wouldn't be able to do it without those tools. Oh, yes, you can. You can do it without the tools. And if you can do it without the tools, you can probably do it with the tools. Huh. So we see in our text that we do a little exposition of this text tonight. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. First of all, we see his personal transparency. Paul was humble. He had not arrived. He was not complete. He was not perfect. 
there was still a process going on, a sanctification in him. He did not know it all. He did not have it all. He did not understand it all. And he was not God's gift to Christianity. He was little. This may be the key to the whole thing. He was little in his own eyes. But he actually was little. But he was little in his own eyes. He was least in his own eyes. He would have been embarrassed tonight that I would be using him as an example if he was here. He regarded himself as actually the worst of the worst and the least of the least. You say, where do you find that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I'm not even fit to be called, though Jesus picked him out as the twelfth apostle and personally taught him, and he saw Christ resurrected. Yet, though Jesus did that, he personally said, I'm not worthy to even be called with Peter, James, and John, and all the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be up in their group. Ephesians 3, 8, he said unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints. I try to pray these, by the way. These are good to pray. Is it grace given? That I should preach among the Gentiles and search for riches of Christ. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. That means he'd get in a room like this and he'd say, now, Paul, you've been bad. And number one, you've been bad. And uh, Rochelle, you've been bad. And uh, C.W., you've been bad. And Tom, you've been real bad because you're really old. But I am the chief. And don't argue with me. I'm the chief, he said. I'm the chief of all of us here. Bring a prostitute up here. I'm the chief. Bring a whoremonger up here. I'm the chief. Bring somebody you despise because of their wickedness. And he said, I was worse than that. Why? I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. I held the clothes of Stephen calling for him to be stoned. And while he was dying, he looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing to welcome him. And said, Father, forgive them. Oh. So first thing we see there is we see he was transparent. That's number one. Number two ingredient in this, in this success is uh, he was singular in his purpose. He was singular in his purpose. But this one thing I do. But this one thing I do. You know the trouble with a lot of us? We're too diverse. You're not going to be able to do everything well. You're not going to be able to do everything well. You're given gifts to do something well. Find that something and do it. Don't try to do what I do. Don't try to do what he does. Don't try to do what she does. Find what God wants you to do. And don't you let the devil pry your fingers off of that until they're dead and cold. And God's taking you home. He was singular in his purpose. He said, this one thing I do. Not this one thing I think about. Not this one thing I teach. Not this one thing I preach, not this one thing I plan, not this one thing I dream, 
But this one thing I do, I'm, I'm tired of Christian talk. Been tired for years. Talk, 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 talk. Spiritual talk. It's been said the least action is better than the best intention. Well, I'm going to do this next, next month. Or I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to do this. Next. Why don't you do it now? Quit talking to jump on it and do it. I'm going to get my CDL license. I'm going, to, I'm, going to get, I'm going to get down dirty now. Some of you in this room need to get your CDL license and help us in the bus ministry. Now, come on. We're trying to get boys and girls in church and get them saved. We know what's right to do. But we need help. And some of you are right on the edge of getting You can get your CDL. Go ahead and get your CDL. And do, you at least can do that one thing. Now, if you're a bad driver, don't get it. Tom, no. So he had personal humility. Nothing would offend him. He had singularity. He had a purpose. Man, we, need, we don't need more Bible conferences. We need more putting our hands on the plow. In other words, you don't necessarily need to know more. You need to do what you know. Are you with me on that? You already know so much you're overweight spiritually. And, and, and a Christian typically, when people come to my office and talk to me, most of the time they don't need to know more. They just need to do what they know. I mean, honestly, I'm sitting there and they're thinking I'm going to do Shazam and I'm going to take out my little wand and go, whoo, you're healed and, and, and all that. And I, I go, whoo, I'll say, have you read Bible? Yeah, you know, they know enough of the Bible. Oftentimes they know what. Have to have personal humility, singularity. Number three, forgetting those things which are behind. You need to forget. I'm talking a purposeful forgetting. You, you married couple here. Now they look like they are so harmonious you can't even believe it, but they're not. There's things he's done that were not good and things you've done that are not good. But you've got to quit bringing them up, amen? If you want to get along and, and be married for 51 years like me, you've got to let the past die. I, I, uh, here's what dirty fighting is. There's clean fighting and there's dirty fighting. Dirty fighting is when you bring the past out. How, how many of you can change the past? Raise your hand. Oh, don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just going to scratch your cheek. You can't change your back. So why do you bring that up in an argument? Think about it. You're, you're arguing about something at the beginning of the discussion. You're trying to solve a problem. I disagree. And there's nothing wrong with that. You have to discuss things. I believe in debate and discussion. I believe in things need to be brought on the table, looked at. But when you don't get your way and you start losing that whole thing, you say, you know, your family never was any good. You know, your mom and dad, that's how dirty it gets. Dirty fighting, boy, just dirty fighting. Now, you know, from that point on, there's no progress going to go forward. Paul says, if you want to, you got to be humble and you got to be singular. And he says, the third thing you got to do is you got to forget the junk behind you. 
I fail, so I never can do anything for God again. The devil's winning, you're losing. I get these bad memories, so do I. I dreamt something last night. I got up in the morning and I told my wife, I said, I can't even believe I'm dreaming about that junk. I can't control my dreams. But I can go to God and ask Him to help me control my dream. I've gotten up out of bed sometimes and got right out of bed, got on my knees beside the bed and said, Jesus, that's not me. Am I alone? No. I feel lonely up here. You folks are righteous. You need an active forgetter. This is also a secret of being married. I mean, there's real no, I mean, got to forget. You say, I can't forget. Well, when it comes back up, you can stop it. Oh, you can stop it. I'm not going to make, okay, I remember that, but I, I know you're a dirty, no good, low down scoundrel, but I'm not going to bring it up. Because it cannot be changed and it's part of death. To live in the past, listen to these statements. To live in the past is to live in death. Those that have died want to go forward. Those who have died want us to move forward. There's been over 200 plus people that could die, be members of Gospel Baptist and active in Gospel Baptist Church who want to get the gospel out there have gone to heaven. What do you think they want for us tonight? They want us to forget the things which are behind, the things which may divide us, and concentrate on the things that unite us so that we can go forward stronger than ever and be able to conquer and, and to do some damage in the kingdom of darkness in this local area, but not just in this local area, through mission board and through missions all over the world. Don't live in death. We cannot move ahead if you're looking back. You can't move ahead. I love memories, but I'm not going to let them change my present. Did you know that a, a, a young, 25% of the young girls are molested? The statistic is 25% of girl, young girls are molested somehow or another. That's one out of four. And some girls let that ruin their whole future. But the molester only really messed up the present. After he was gone, they messed up their future. Don't let a molester control the future. By the grace of Almighty God, that was then and now is now, and I'm born from above and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, standing on the promises of God and all the other good things of God, and that will not that was and is not me and will not be me and you won't control me. Don't you let it do it. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Number four, he said, reaching forth unto those things which are before. But notice the negative was before the positive. He had to forget. And then he reached forward the things which are before. He had a positive, optimistic outlook for the future. 
He had new battles to fight, new people to meet, new bus routes to start, new friends to love, new sacrifices to make, new enemies to make, new mountains to climb, new broken things to mend, new backsliders to retrieve, new marriages to save, new teens to teach. He had goals in the future. And he wanted to stretch himself. Reach for something. The word reach, the word picture of reach is when you see a runner, you watched 440 yard dash or 220 yard dash or 100 yard dash. And when they get, there's this, they see this line across there and you know they're close. They got guys, and you notice the guy's trying to, he's just, he literally is trying to distend himself forward, leaning forward, jumping forward to try to, that's the picture of reaching for those things that were before. Stretch yourself. I'm getting too old to do it, do it, do it. And when somebody asks you to quit, quit. Many preachers should preach until they start getting to the place where they're not able to preach anymore, then they need to know when to step down. I get it. You don't want to damage what you loved and helped. But while you can run, run with everything you got. Everything you got. I like Harold Seidler. He was a pastor of mine for three and a half years. Harold Seidler, Tabernacle Baptist Church, Greenville, South Carolina, said, Die with a hundred unfulfilled projects. I think I am. I'm going to die with 100, 100, at least a hundred unfulfilled projects. Number five, I press toward the mark. For the prize. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press for the mark. Determined. He was determined. We see a young man. Who's tall and handsome. With a nice physical appearance. And muscles bulging. Oftentimes that's not who God wants. You remember when David was was chosen as king, and and Samuel, his evidently, those are some big boys, real handsome boys that, that man had. He had seven brothers, and he said, "Oh, that one surely, Lord. No, that's not him. Oh, this one surely. Who, there's none left. Is there any other kid? Well, we got one scrub brother out there taking care of the sheep. We didn't even let him come in because we didn't think he should even be considered for this. And God said, "Oh, that's my guy." That's my guy. Let me do it. Press for the mark. Press forward. You can do it. God will use the most unlikely vessel. In fact, he'll te- he tends to use vessels that don't believe they can do it. And I like that. You know, there was nothing wrong with Moses. Moses uh, was told he was going to go into Egypt. He knew Egypt. He was going to go in there and he's going to take all the slaves out of Egypt. You've got to be kidding me. He knew Egypt. He knew their armies. He knew their knowledge. He knew the oppression that was, was tight on those slaves, and there was no way he was going to let them slaves go. And God says, he gives God five excuses. I'll be honest with you, when I read that passage, about the fifth one, I'm worried. That maybe God's just going to, Moses. Moses said, well, you know, send, send somebody else. 
You made a bad decision. Send somebody else. How about my brother, Aaron? Him go. And, and you say, but you know what? God oftentimes does the greatest through people who don't think they have the abilities and don't think they can do it. And then when, if they're willing just to submit to God to it, and, and as our brother said here, uh, God will make it happen in front of their very eyes. And he'll do it in front of their very eyes. And you, you'll go, wow, I serve a great God. You know, Moses could always say that. I serve a great God. Man, he did great and mighty things, which we know not. Count yourself, don't count yourself to have apprehended. Have humility. Do one thing, have singularity. Forget the things which are behind. Shed your distractions. Reaching forth into the things which are before, be optimistic about the future. Because, hey, as more again believers, my, oh, my, oh, my, are we optimistic. I don't care what the government does. I mean, I do care what the government does, but whatever the government does, if our, if our republic is banned this year and the Democrats take over and, and, and put, in, uh, uh, put in communism uh, with the backing of the military and they try to oppress and suppress us uh, as before we became a republic, King George tried to do, and yet we Christians still have an optimistic future. They can't touch our stuff. They can't touch us. Ultimately, they can take our bodies and make it inconvenient and, and hurt us, but ultimately, they're not going to. The more you step on Christianity, the more you try to oppress Christianity, the more it spreads. You know one thing Christianity has never been able to live well through? Prosperity. We don't do well in that. Reach forth and then press on. Be, be futuristic, indomitable, I put in my notes here. You have to kill me to stop me. Those were the five simple things on the verse 13 and 14 he lists there. How did it happen? And by the way, five times they, they beat me with stripes. Five times they beat me with stripes. Five times they beat me with stripes. Five times they beat me with stripes. You know, I had a bone marrow biopsy. How many here have had a bone marrow biopsy? Raise your hand. It's gruesome. It's gruesome. They go into your bone an inch with an auger. It's five twists, five twists. I counted them. He did the first one. He didn't get enough bone marrow. So I got to do it again. I wanted to get up, slug him, and leave, but I didn't. I stayed down there, and he did another one. But I thought to myself, this is nothing compared to what Paul had. The first whipping, you don't know what's coming, and that's bad. But the second whipping, you know what's coming. I'd misbehave in church. My dad was go, he'd go, I meant five stripes with the belt. I knew what that was like. And all the way home, I said, I'll be good. I'll be better. I'll be a model child. The first time they, they, they uh, tied Paul to the post, it was bad. The second time they tied him to the post, it was real bad. The third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. I don't even, that don't register in my mind. As Brother uh, Captain Nick says, that's not on my radar. I believe if he could do that for Jesus, we can do what we got to do. You can, and you really just have to just say, by the grace of God, I will. Father, help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. 
Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.